Well, um, the last three weeks, uh, we've been looking at the concept of sinner's welcome. Um, tonight, we are going to end that up. We're going to wrap that up. If you haven't been here the last three weeks, I want to give you a quick rundown of where we've been. Uh, the first week, uh, we were in Luke chapter 15, and kind of the whole point or kind of the whole thought around this whole series is where in Luke chapter 15, you see Jesus eating with sinners. And we've talked a lot about that, sinners with quotation marks. And the Pharisees are standing there in verse 2 and say, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so that's kind of the whole concept of what we've been talking about is who was this crazy man who welcomed sinners? And not only did he welcome them, but he chose to sit at the table and dine with them. And so the first week, as we kind of dove into that, and as we kind of looked into that, we, wanted, we opened up and looked at what the heart of God says and has to do with it. And in there in Luke um, chapter 15 as well, we looked at the story of the prodigal son. And we talked about that first week on how really it's not about the prodigal son, it's more about the prodigal father. And how the father is the one who does something crazy. And how the father is the one who does something lavish. Because the father is the one that when his son looked him in the eye and said, I wish you were dead, give me your inheritance. Ran off, spent it all on wild living, as the Bible tells us. That when he came to himself, and began coming back home, we saw a picture in this story of the father running out to meet him. And we talked a lot about the symbolism there. We're not going to get in that night. If you missed it, sorry, you missed it. In the future, you may can podcast it and get caught up on it, but you can't tonight. You just missed it. But we talked about how the father's heart is for those who are far off from him. The sinners. In quotation marks. The prostitutes, the tax collectors, the thieves, the robbers, those who spoke his name in vain, those who denied him, those who looked at him and said, I want nothing to do with you. That the Father had a heart for them. And the Father didn't wait for them to get home before he acted on that. That the father, as soon as he saw them coming for him in the distance, he ran out to meet them. He put the ring on their finger. He put the robe on them. He killed the fatted calf and threw a huge party. Because in this story, the father cries out, my son who was dead is now alive. And then the next week we, contra we contrasted the heart of the father with the heart of man and looked at the older brother in that story. <laughs> and looked at how sadly so often the heart of the older brother mirrors our heart. And that while the younger brother was coming home after he had squandered everything in wild living, the older brother was out in the field and as he's approaching the house, hears a party. Here's dancing, and that must have been a lot of dancing because he heard it. Here's dancing going on in the distance, calls the servants to him and says, what's going on? The servant says, 
Your father has killed the fatted calf and thrown a party for his son who is lost is now found. And the older brother doesn't jump up and down in joy. Instead, he pitches a royal fit. And we talked about how so often, sadly, that mirrors how we are. We look at somebody and they come to church and they make a decision in our mind or maybe even we nudge the person next to us and we go, I won't last. They do that every summer. And that doesn't have, I mean, that's not going to do anything. Or we even took it a step further and I think sometimes in our thoughts when we look at somebody we say, "Mm, they're just too far gone. God can't save them. Why should I even bother? And we talked about how that is completely opposite from the heart of God and the heart that he has. And so last week we looked at, so what then? So how do we act in that? How do we transform into what God wants us to be? And we looked at in Matthew where Christ calls Matthew to be his disciple and how Christ walks up to Matthew while he's at the tax collector's booth, which I think is hysterical. We talked about that last week. And he says, come follow me. And Matthew's immediate response is he got up and followed him. And that very night, he took Jesus into his home and threw a huge party to where he invited sinners, quotation marks, and tax collectors. And I began to think about that last week as we were talking. I mean, how many times does it happen when you have accepted Christ, or when you've seen somebody accept Christ, you went home and threw a party because of it. Instead, I think our mentality is, when we accept Christ, you know, this summer was awesome. Man, I accepted Christ this summer. Man, it was so cool. And we get back to school, and it's like, okay, here's Jesus. Right there. Okay. Yeah, oh, the summer was awesome. Yeah, summer was cool. What'd you do this summer? Oh, I mean, I went to a camp. Yeah, it was cool. When Matthew's response was not only to tell the whole world, but to throw a huge party and invite every sinner he knew to it. Because he saw something in this Jesus that was completely different than anything he'd ever seen. And then we looked at Paul, where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and Paul tells us his philosophy, and that he became all things to all men to win as many as possible. And so I was thinking about how we were going to wrap this up tonight. I wanted to talk about the banquet table. I wanted to talk about how God invites us to the banquet table because I love food. Y'all know that. I love talking about food. I love making you salivate about food. I just love that picture of the banquet table. I love that God has designed it, that he is inviting us to the table. And not only is he inviting us to the table, but he wants to sit at the table and eat with us. And that is so huge. And we can't forget that. And I wanted to talk about that tonight, but we're not going to talk about that. Because I don't want to leave these four weeks one-sided. And so tonight I want to look at another sinner in the Bible. Because for the last three weeks we have seen sinners, we've talked about sinners, and we've talked about how these sinners were prostitutes, and these sinners were tax collectors, and these sinners were over here in the pit, and these sinners were over here in the mire, and you could look at them. I mean, the older brother apparently had spies telling him how bad his younger brother was. I mean, you can see it, and you know it. You know what I'm talking about. You know if you were there, you know if you're there right now, you know the people who are there. Because you can see it all over them. They're a sinner. I mean, they are are lost, and they're a sinner, and there ain't nothing we can do about it. 
And we talked about that, how the Bible says sinners. But the stark reality is that sinner means somebody far from God. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what pit you're in. What matters is the fact that sinner means somebody who is far from God. And so tonight we're going to look at another sinner in the Bible. If you have your Bible, I want you to open up to the book of John. If you don't have one, there should be one in front of you in the pew. I want you to open up to John chapter 3 as we dive into this tonight. You may have heard of this man before. If you've been around church for a while, you probably have. Tonight we're going to talk about Nicodemus, a sinner, a man who was far from God when he first came to Jesus. And in John chapter 3 verse 1, it begins this way, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. We're going to stop right there for a second, because you all know I can't read a whole passage at one time. Because we need to understand some things before we get into it and really understand what's happening here. And what we've got to understand here is who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious Jewish people of the day. They were the religious leaders of the day. But not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a highfalutin Pharisee. He was on the ruling council of Pharisees. Now, we've got to understand this because it's not like today, it's not like, you know, in politics, and I'm not making any statements about what's happening in the future, I'm not doing that, I'm just saying it's not like in politics that, you know, just anybody can be elected. I mean, I mean, there's no, I mean, there's age requirements and there may be, you know, for whatever position you're running for, there may be nationality requirements. You know, I mean, if you're running for president, you have to have been born in America. You know, I mean, like that has to have happened. But, you know, if you're running for like mayor, I mean, you could have been born anywhere. You can be born in China and you can run for mayor. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, there are no qualifications whatsoever to run for politics here in the United States, really and truly. But there were huge qualifications to be a Pharisee. And even more so, there were huge qualifications for being on the ruling council. There were tons of rules and regulations that you had to follow. And not only did you have to follow them, but I mean, they had to be integral in your being. By very nature of Nicodemus' position, listen to this. He had the first five books of the Bible memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Over 5,000 verses up here. Hey, Nick, what's uh, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 23? (laughs) Really? He had them ingrained in him. They were second nature to him. Not only that, but he understood what they were saying when it came to the law. You didn't want to get in an argument with them about what it meant because they were going to win every single time. Nicodemus was not just some guy who came up on the street and talked to Jesus. He was somebody that knew everything about what the Bible had to say 
about Jesus' coming. And so the Bible says at night he went to Jesus. And scholars have debated what this means at night. Scholars have argued, scholars have talked about what in the world does it mean that he went to Jesus at night. You know, it's probably because he went to Jesus at night because he didn't want to get killed. Because, I mean, he was of the ruling council, and the ruling council already was trying to kill Jesus because they didn't like him. As a matter of fact, they hated him. And so if they saw Nick going to Jesus and talking to him, I mean, it's going to be like, what are you doing? You're off the council. We're probably going to kill you, stone you. We'll crab Paul in, and he'll do it. And I think that's a very valid argument. But I also wonder if, as John is writing here, as Nicodemus went to Jesus at night, it wasn't because in the daytime he had it all together. In the daytime, he was the stuff. I mean, in the daytime, you looked at him and you were like, man, that is the man. He is a Jew among Jews. Man, when I grow up, I want to be like that guy. I mean, you are it. You are on the ruling council. You are, I mean, I want to aspire to be you. In the daytime, he had everything put together. But I wonder if when the nighttime came, inside of him wasn't tearing up. Because he knew deep inside he had nothing put together. And I'm not necessarily talking about sun up, daytime, moon up, nighttime. I'm talking about the spiritual being of himself. And I wonder if in the nighttime, in that time where he was sitting there going, I don't have a clue, and there's this man, Jesus, and i got to go find out what he's all about, if he didn't approach Jesus. And he comes to Jesus, and he offers up this, by all accounts, huge compliment to Jesus. I mean, he tells Jesus, Jesus... I know who you say you are, and you've done all these things, and they're incredible, and you have to be from God to have done them. I mean, so I just want to go ahead and say from the get-go, Jesus, you know, yes, I'm a Pharisee, you know who I am, I'm a Jewish leader, I'm on the ruling council, but I got you, I see what you're doing, and you've got to be from God. You know, and Jesus' response to that should have been, man, all right, thank you, appreciate that, glad you noticed. Thanks, Nick. Man, I needed that encouragement today. What do you want to talk about? But that's not what happens. Instead, Jesus gives this ridiculous statement. I mean, Nicodemus has just come to Jesus, and he says, Rabbi, I know you're a teacher. I see that, Rabbi. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And so Jesus looked at him and said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God until he's born again. Well, of course Jesus said that. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? What? I mean, did Nicodemus ask about the kingdom of God? No. Did Nicodemus ask about being born again? No. Nicodemus came to Jesus complimenting him, telling him, I know you're a teacher. I know that you're sent from God. I need to understand what's going on here. And Jesus, knowing exactly why Nicodemus came, looked at Nicodemus straight in the eye and said, let's cut the crap, Nick. You are lost. And you are a sinner among sinners. And the only way 
you're going to ever see the kingdom of God is if you were born again. And Nicodemus is standing there, and Nicodemus is like, uh. Okay, I wasn't, we weren't getting there yet. I mean, I thought maybe like the fifth time I came to you, we could talk about that. You know what I mean? Like that, whew, what? What do you mean born again? I mean, I was already born. You want me to get back in my mother's womb? That's gross. <laughs> but he says that. He asked Jesus. I mean, he doesn't, I mean, you can tell. I mean, Nicodemus was not expecting this answer. Nicodemus is coming because he wants to have a conversation with Jesus. He wants to get to know who he is. He wants to learn who Jesus is. And he thinks, okay, we can take this slow. We can take this, you know, at my pace. And Jesus says, no, because I know your problem. I know that in the daytime you have it all put together. I know that in the daytime when people are looking at you, they see the model Jew. They see the person that they need to emulate, but I know deep down in your heart that you're more confused than anybody. And I know that deep down in your heart, while you may not be, while you may not look like you're in the pig pen eating the pig slop, wishing you were eating the servant's food, and your inner being, that's all you're longing for. And so then Jesus answers, and he goes through this parable. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Because he looks at Nicodemus and he says, okay, yeah, yeah, you were born, Nick. You, you were, okay? Your mom and dad, they fell in love, and the stork came, and boom, you were born, okay? I mean, like... I understand that, but that's not what I'm talking about here, Nick. I'm talking about you need a spiritual rebirth inside of you. And until you get that, you're going to be living in the wilderness. You are going to be far from me until you get that. And I think that's something we've got to come around tonight because here's the picture that I want to paint for us tonight quickly. A sinner does not have to be someone who's out there living the wildlife that every one of us in this room are judging. When I was in college, I had a huge burden placed on me. I would say probably my first two years of college was probably the time in which God impacted my life more than any other time in my entire life. I mean, it was like those first two years of college, it was like I stood there at a fire hydrant and God just opened up the hose and was like, okay, get it, you know, I mean, it was just like, you know, what are you doing? And you okay, Courtney? Okay. And it was in that time that God placed a burden in my heart for people just like you it was at that time that God placed a burden in my heart for the people that come and sit in that sanctuary every Sunday morning because you see as a Christian we are called to make disciples 
As a Christian, we are called to go win the lost. As a Christian, we are called to step outside of the walls of this church, to step outside of our comfort zone and find those far from God and bring them into the family and welcome them with the heart of the Father and invite them to the banquet table. And that is our job. The sad reality of it is Far too often, we don't have to look past the end of our reach while we're in church to find somebody who's far from God. When I was a sophomore in college, I ran across a survey, and this didn't, I mean, anything to you, it's done by the Barna Group. Barna Group's this group that does all these surveys of churches and church people and yada, yada, yada. It said 83% of people who attend church in the Bible Belt, which is where you live, hello, Do not confess to being a born-again believer. That's 82% of the people who come to church. I mean, who sit in here. Who sit in the same, who come to Sunday school, who come eat on Wednesday night. Do not confess to being a born-again believer. And I'm looking at that going, no wonder we're not reaching anybody. And my heart began to break for those people. And it was like every time I went to church, I was on the lookout for somebody who didn't know Jesus. How crazy is that? But I mean, that's how it was for, for years. And, and somehow, when I actually became a minister in a church, you know, for like the first six months, I was on fire for that. I was like, let's find all the non-Christians in the church and let's save them, you know, kind of thing. And now it's like, okay, we're all church folk. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you're a Christian. I'd even take it a step further and say, if you are a Christian, it means you're probably not religious at all. Because Christ was probably the most irreligious person I've ever read about. <laughs> he walked into the church and took the tables and threw them across the room. I mean, imagine if you did that. Imagine if you went in tonight while they were having family night supper and you walked in and were like, whoosh. <laughs> Boy, you've been drugged out of here quicker than anything. And I'd probably be fired because of it. How are you teaching these kids? You know, kind of, I mean, like, I mean, what? I mean, he did that? I mean, he destroyed everything in the church. And in the religious order of that day, he came into it and breathed life into it and said, you don't get it. Because it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. It's not about what you do, it's about me. It's not about being on the ruling council, it's about being born again. And I don't want us to leave these four weeks with the idea that sinners are only those people who are in the pig pen. <laughs> I mean, they're those people we see at school that sit at the other table because we won't dare sit with them, and all they do is cuss. All they do is talk about what they apparently did this past weekend. But we wouldn't dare go sit over there with them, you know, because they're the sinners. And I want to be very careful 
that we don't fall into a false reality that just because we come to Sunday school and we come to 633 and we come help out when we teach the children on Sunday nights and we go to go camp and we do mission work that we're a Christian. And here's the thing I've got to be careful with tonight. Here's the thing I've got to be very careful with. I'm not trying to confuse you. Tonight, I'm not trying to stand up here and convince you who are born again that you're not born again. Because if you're born again, I think you know it. Because I think deep down inside of you, there is a part of you that says, I know I'm born again. You may not be able to tell me the date. I can't tell you the date. I don't have a clue the date. I know some potential dates, but I don't have a clue when it happened. I just know that right now, standing here, I am born again. I still sin. I still fall short. I am still filthy sometimes. But I know by the grace of God, I have been washed clean and made right before Him. I am born again. And have confidence in that. And I know that if you were born again, I know that deep down inside of you, you know that. And so I'm not trying to confuse you tonight. I'm trying to speak to you who come here every week. And sit in here with a false reality. That because you're doing the right stuff. Because you're being good. And because you can leave here and go, man, Jace did pretty good tonight. Man, I like that song Noah sang. Man, that was awesome. I'm going to go down that, download that on iTunes. I'm going to put that on my iPod. That doesn't mean a hill of beans. God's not impressed by that. God wasn't impressed. Jesus was not impressed when Nicodemus came to him and was like, Hey, Rabbi. Hey, teacher. I know you've got to be from God. You couldn't do all this. I mean, Jesus was like, Thanks, Nick. Appreciate that. Appreciate the shout out. I mean, God's not impressed. God's not impressed when we wear Christian shirts. He's just not. He doesn't care. God's not impressed when we go on a mission trip. He doesn't care. God is impressed. Okay, maybe he does care a little bit. I'm not trying to say all of that's nothing, you know. But I'm trying to make the point here. God is impressed when we are born again and begin living in the fullness of his grace. That is when God is impressed. He's not impressed when we accept a reward and go, thanks, Jesus, and Mama, and Daddy, and Uncle. What? I mean, God's like, I'm God. I created everything. And you're trying to give me a shout-out? I mean, hello, go look at the moon. <laughs> y'all got one stinking flag up there. <laughs> That's all y'all been able to do? Y'all can't even get anything on Mars, hardly. And that's like, I mean, this big in the whole realm of everything I created. No. God is impressed and God is excited and the angels rejoice and the fatted calf is killed and the ring is brought out and the robe is put on when we are born again. And that is something that we've got to get back We have got to not be afraid of walking around as born-again believers. Man, you believe that? Man, that's those crazy folks. I mean, they all vote Republican, don't they? I mean, surely you're not voting Republican. I mean, that's that's what all the news stations tell us, you know. I mean, like half the Republican Party is these born-again believers. Somehow we got to rip that back. (laughs) And we got to say, ah... 
and born again by the grace of God in the person of Christ and live in his fullness every day. In this same chapter, we get to the most famous verse in the entire Bible. I'm not even going to read it. Y'all tell me what it is. You're, you're going to get it right in unison. For God... Amen. The most, I was beautiful, all the versions. We may have even had a message version in there. It was gorgeous. But we've lost it. Because it's in this text in which Jesus pulls that out. In the text in which he looks at Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, I don't care about the fluff. Nicodemus, I don't care about what you do. I don't care about who you are. I don't care about what ruling committee you're on, Nicodemus. All I care about is you've got to be born again. Because my Father loved this world so much that everyone who would believe in me would have eternal life. And that's what you've got to understand, Nicodemus. And he wasn't talking about just this, oh, believe in Jesus. Because obviously, Nicodemus believed Jesus was Jesus. He came to him and said, Rabbi, I can tell you're a good teacher. I can tell you're sent from God because you couldn't be doing all this stuff if you weren't. No, what Jesus is saying is, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would be born again would take the step and say, not only do I believe you are Jesus, but I believe with my entire self, with my entire worth, with everything that I've got, and I'm giving you my spirit because I want to be born again. Somehow we've got to get that back. Somehow we've got to understand that this doesn't mean anything if we're not born again. Noah's going to come. He's got a closing song that he's going to lead us in. And here's the challenge tonight. I want you to listen carefully. I want just a couple more minutes here. Genuinely, I'm not trying to confuse you. And if you're confused right now, if you're sitting there and you're going, man, I thought I got saved. I mean, gosh, I was baptized, but I don't know. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I should just go ahead and do it again. If that's you, don't do anything tonight. Except come talk to me afterwards. Because it may be that you are not born again. It may be that you are like Nicodemus and you are a far way off from Jesus. But it may also just be a stage in your life in which you're just confused. And that's okay. And I want to give you a a surety in your salvation But I don't want it to be because you came forward and did it again. Just so that you could do it again. 
But if you're sitting there tonight and you know without a shadow of a doubt that you have never been born again and this whole born again mess is blowing your mind out because you're not real sure about it because you're kind of thinking like Nicodemus did. I've already been born once and I'm not getting back in that belly. But if you know you've never been born again and tonight you want to. Tonight you want to experience the grace of Christ. Tonight you want to experience the Spirit of Christ inside of you. Tonight you want to come to the banquet table and eat the feast with Jesus. You better not leave here tonight without doing it. And there's no special way to do it. There's no magic way. To, there's no prayer. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic thing. All you have to do is in your way, look at Christ. How can I look at Christ? He's not here. In your way, get into a position in which you can have time with Christ and tell Him, Jesus, I am far from you. I have been playing the game. I've been coming to church. I've been coming to Sunday school. I've been coming to 633. And man, I love the music, but I'm far from you. And I want to be born again tonight. And in that instant, you'll be wiped clean. That's all it takes. And I would love that if that's you tonight, I would love that if you are in that position tonight, I would love to know that. And I would love more than anything to pray for you. And so as we sing this last song, and it's become one of my favorite songs. We sang it last week. I think it's the most appropriate song for us to end this series with. And as we sing this, if you want to make that decision, then I invite you to come up here, pray with me. Or maybe God, through these four weeks, has placed somebody on your heart, not out of judgment, but because for some reason in the last four weeks, your heart has begun to transform and you've begun to look at people like he does. And if he's placed somebody on your heart and you want to pray for them, man, get on your knees tonight and pray for them. Whatever you want to do tonight, this is your time. And so as Noah and Becca lead us in this, I want you all to stand and sing with us. And spend some time with Christ.